Guess what today is? Not in 13 years would you guess what today is. Today is the first week of the 14th year of ministry for Hope Chapel. Last Sunday was our anniversary, the 13th anniversary of our first service. And so today begins the first week of ministry of our 14th year of serving the Lord. Amen. Yeah, it's good stuff. You know, when I was, I was kind of reminiscing a little bit the last, last couple of weeks about what these 13 years have been like, there's a lot of m- memories that came flooding back to me, you know, and, and first of all, you know, we, many of you may not be aware of this, but we met in a school for almost four full years, so we were church in the box. Instead of like Jack in the box, we were church in the box. We had everything we used was tucked away into a 10-foot trailer, and uh, because I didn't want to have to get there early enough to be a part of all the setup every single time. Christina became a master at backing up the trailer behind the school. And you can imagine, in the wintertime, it's just a walkway, right? And the snowbanks would get six to eight, ten feet tall. And she's backing our expedition with the trailer up through these things. And she became a master. But she won't drive the boat, but she could back this up really well, you know. And I remember the time we showed up for our first Christmas Eve service there. And the janitor was late. You know, we need an hour to set up. It's 5 o'clock. He's supposed to be there. At quarter of 6, he shows up. And he says, the line at Walmart was long. You know, like, you know, so it was a, and it was a, it was a fastest setup we ever did. And get set up, you know, and just the panic that was going on and that kind of idea. And, you know, I remember that the first summer we were meeting in the school. July 4th was right smack dab in the middle of the week. And so there weren't any janitors to work the week before or the week after July, the weekends after July 4th. And so, we held our church-wide picnic the first time. It was the first time we ever did that, and we did an outdoor baptism. And the next week, we used it as an occasion to switch from Sunday nights to Sunday mornings for our services. And so we met down at a property that we had taken from a church that, here in town that had, that had folded. And, uh, and we were going to do vacation Bible school there, and things were all kind of set up, and, and it was an acre of land. And so we set up on the property in the only place where there was shade, right? It's the middle of July, right? Only place with shade. About halfway through the service, we discovered that we put all the chairs on top of anthills. And ants were just climbing up people's legs and et cetera. And, and I swear it was the most active day at the airport here in Sterling that we've ever had. There's planes going overhead. And we had visitors that day. And I'm thinking, they're never coming back. You know, and they actually joined and got, got a part of it. It was really pretty incredible. And, you know, I remember the day that we... We had our 10th anniversary back in the school. Many of you were a part of that journey. We had about 900 people there for that service in the school, and we met in the, in the large uh, gymnasium. It's just really great stuff. And our building a legacy of hope banquet that we had when we were getting ready to build our building and kind of finding what God would do to help finance it, and we met together over at the Wachusett Country Club. And, you know, the, the second Sunday we were in this building, we had to cancel services because of snow. So we had our opening Sunday, and the next week it snowed. We had to cancel. And it's like, this is a great start. You know, that? you know, having to cancel anyways. But it's, it's all kinds of stuff. But, you know, really the, the, the two things that really stand out to me um, about this 13 years of journey together and what I really hope and anticipate in the next 13 together is, you know, is that just how many great people God has brought into my life and into the life of Hope Chapel as a part of that journey. You know, we've just, we've just been blessed with just a tremendous group of people who, who really love the Lord. They want to do what's right in the eyes of God. And, and, and they just, 
they just live that out in their lives on a regular basis, and, and, and they are great. I, you know, I tell people all the time who, who kind of check out with Hope Chapel, I say, you know, you need to get to know the people. They're, they're the best piece of the whole thing. You know, and, and kind and gracious and, and uh, faithful, and, and, and Christina and I have just been so blessed over the years to serve with you and, and those kinds of things, and, and you've been a blessing to so many other folks. And, you know, it's just one of those places where, you know, sometimes, you, you know, churches struggle because of, of the people they have. And, and Hope Chapel has really been blessed because we can build on the people that God has sent us. And it's really a, a great thing. And the second truth is just, just and I wish now that I, I just had kept a journal over the years, even just a weekly one to say, you know, this is, this is what I saw God doing this week, just in, in the life of the ministry. Because I don't think there's a week that has gone by where God hasn't been doing something significant in somebody's life or in somebody's family or through a ministry, or whatever. I mean, we see it reflected in your praises that you put on the connection cards and the prayer requests that we're praying for. I mean, we literally have had hundreds of people come to know Christ and be baptized. You know, we, we've sent out literally hundreds of people on mission trips and, 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 and impact. It's, it's just been incredible. And, and one of the, 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 the constants that, that I've gotten to see from this side of the pulpit over these 13 years is that God is always at work. And that really transitions to the subject matter that we're talking about today. Because if God is always at work, it also means or it demands that we respond to God's activity on a regular basis. It's not the kind of thing that we can just deal with it on Easter and Christmas, you know, or the day we get baptized and et cetera. You know, but if God is always at work, God is always moving in our lives to shape us, grow us, use us, direct us, teach us, guide, then, then we are constantly in a position where we need to recognize the activity of God and respond to it. And so we're in the midst of a series as, as a church, and we welcome you. If you haven't joined us, you, you can participate with us. We have books out on the table. You can sign up for a life group, listen to last week's message online and that kind of stuff. And, but we've been working through a a process of understanding how is it that you and I respond to the ongoing activity of God in a way that brings change and transformation to our lives. You know, it, and, and we've been using this terminology of aha. You know, some of us are familiar with the idea of having an aha moment where all of a sudden we just see something that we've never seen before and the lights kind of go on. Well, we've been using aha in just a little bit of a different sense. In the sense of Aha are those our spiritual aha moments are those times when, when you and I have a spiritual experience that creates lasting transformation, and the aha really flows out of the three letters that are reflected there. That first A stands for awakening. Those are those moments when we have these spiritual revelations, these insights that God peels back when we can we finally see or we discover. You know, Moses sees the burning bush and he pursues it. When he gets there, God speaks to him and he has an aha moment. We, we have these times when, when we see, we have this fresh sense of clarity about who God is or about who we are or the circumstances we're in and a situation that we need to deal with, a relationship dynamic that we're processing. And all of a sudden, the, the, kind of the, the lights go on and we kind of see the truth that God's been trying to get through to us, or we understand what it is that God wants us to do. You know, I've told you several times before that, you know, there's a time where I, we, Christina and I were just praying for, 
for years about whether we should stay in Texas and get an advanced, another advanced degree or come back or whatever. And we're praying. And, and just one day driving down the road, it was just driving down the road. It's just like God said, it's time to go back. You know, and, and that's an aha moment. It's an awakening. God's speaking. The H stands for honesty. And Steve's going to start talking to you about that next week. And then the last A stands for action. And for you and I to be responding to God's ongoing activity, we need to have recognized those moments of awakening. We need to honestly process them, and then we take, take the appropriate action. And so today we've been still processing that idea of awakening, these spiritual insights that God's trying to give us. And I'm trying to throw some, some fuel on the fire, if you will, to kind of help you have more of those. And last week what we did is we looked at some thoughts about God that can fuel our sense of awakening in our lives. And we've been doing so out of Luke chapter 15. Today I want to shift the focus. Because sometimes the aha moments, the awakening moments are about ourselves, right? We see something about ourselves that we never saw before. So today I'd like for us to have some us thoughts. Some thoughts about us, you know. And, and I want to use the text of Luke chapter 15 as the basis for my comments today. And there are three parables here. One is the parable of the lost sheep. The second is the parable of the lost coin. And then we have the parable of the prodigal son or the, or, or the, the parable of the, the lost son. And um, let's just read the first parable together first. I'll make some comments. We'll do the second one. Then we'll read the third one. And, and, and I'll make some additional comments as to each one of those. So Luke chapter 15. Now all the tax collectors and the sinners were approaching to listen to him. That's a reference to Jesus. And the Pharisees and the scribes were complaining. They were whining, right? What's he doing? This man welcomes sinners and he eats with them. First of all, he's contaminating himself and so he's, God's not going to like him. And on top of that, God has already rejected these people. And what is he doing with the spiritual outcasts? And, and that kind of thing. So Jesus told them this parable. What man among you who has 100 sheep and loses one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open space, in the open field, and go after the lost one until he finds it. When he has found it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders, and coming home, he calls his friends and his neighbors together, saying, Rejoice with me, because I found my lost sheep. I tell you, in the same way, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who don't need repentance. Now again, a parable is a story from everyday life, right? And this, this is an event that would have happened regularly in the life of the nation. Picture of a shepherd out in the open fields, distance away from the, the villages, you know, watching over their sheep. That would have been a common sight for many who were traveling through Israel. And the 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 shepherds, I mean, when, the, when it was the right season, they used to go out from the villages. They would graze the people out in the open field. They couldn't get home at night, so they would basically just pasture their, their sheep out in the open field at night. Often they built, built little circles out of stones and come up high enough where the sheep couldn't get out real easily. And then they would, many of them actually would put their herds in together. And then in the morning, they literally just call them, call, just call by their thing. And the sheep would recognize their voice, and they would separate. So the picture is here, you've got the shepherd who comes back in, and he's at the gate, and he's having the sheep goes in. He's counting one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, 98, 99. Where, where's the last one? So and then he counts them again. One, two, three, four, five, 
99. One's missing. And, and other shepherds said, would you watch my, watch my flock. I'm going to go find this lost sheep. So the thought is, how does the sheep get lost in the first place? You know, sheep are not like prisoners who have been released on work detail, who are at work on the side of the highway. You know, and they're keeping an eye on the guards. And as soon as the guards kind of look the other direction, or if they got to take a potty break, or they fall asleep in the cab of the truck, as soon as they have the moment of opportunity to run, they turn and they bolt and they run. They're they're looking for a way to get away. Sheep don't get lost that way. The, The way sheep get lost is they got their head down and they're eating grass, right? And they're eating this clump. They look up and here's another good clump. And then they hear another good clump. And another good clump. And then maybe they hear a noise over here and they look up and they get another good clump. And all of a sudden they get to a place where they can't hear the shepherd's voice anymore. And they didn't get lost because they wanted to get lost. They got lost because they just wandered away. And one of the things that you and I need to appreciate, our, appreciate about ourselves is that we don't always find ourselves in the distant country by design. It's because we find ourselves in the distant country, alienated, far from the Father, because we didn't have a design to stay close to Him. We don't always, it's not always our intention to get to the distant country, but because we lack the intentionality to stay close to God, we drift away. You know, the Scripture tells us in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1, He says, you know, we need to pay much closer attention to what we've seen and heard. We, we need to have a design. We need to have an intentionality to pay attention to what we've seen and heard lest we, what, drift away from it, the Scripture says. See, Paul describes the days as being evil, so that means that even though God's in this direction, life is, has a current that's trying to move us in this direction. And Jesus said, you know what? You, you, better, you better build life wisely because you can put your house on the rock or you can put it on the sand but the river's going to rise when the rain falls. The wind's going to blow, and it's going to try to pick up your house and move you along. Part of the problem for many of us in our journey with God is not so much that we ever designed, we ever intended to leave God. It wasn't our design to run away from God, but because we just haven't been paying attention, and we've just been going from one lump of grass to the next through life, we found ourselves a long, long way from God. You know, I, I get... On a fairly regular basis, I don't know if it's once a month, once every couple of months, but on a fairly regular basis, I get emails or I have interactions with people to say, you know, I don't know how I got where I'm at. You know, they say, you know, I, I, I still believe in God. I, I like the church. I like the church I was going to or I like Hope Chapel or whatever. And, and now I, 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 I'm just so far away from it. It's like life just got in the way. You know, it was that night class that I started taking to finish my degree. And I just got so busy, I couldn't get to church, and I dropped out of life group, and et cetera. And, and I, you know, I, I just, I, it's not like it used to be with God. You know, or, you know what, we, we were behind in our bills, and so I took a second job, and I started working on Saturday, sun, Saturdays and Sundays, and a little bit, of, you know, and I, we just didn't have time, et cetera, you know, or we had that second kid, or we had that third kid, or fourth kid, or we don't have anybody with 10 kids, so we don't have that kind of idea. But, you know, and it and just got so busy, and it's this and that. It's just, you know, or, you know, it's the kids, you know, they're, they're, they're playing football or they're playing baseball or basketball or soccer or they're doing dance or horseback riding or whatever, you know. And, and they just get to, you know, this Jesus and sports thing we're going to do. This was a lot of conversation. Did you notice that Jesus is a Pats fan? 
You know, he had his... I didn't know that, but I was glad to get that affirmation this morning. You know, that Jesus is a Patriots fan. But, you know, we, we just get it. We just start all the stuff and we just drift away. You know, life just gets busy. None of that stuff's bad. None of it is bad. But we just get our heads down and without an intentional plan to stay close to God, the current just kind of keeps taking us and we find ourselves like a lost sheep and we can't hear the voice of the shepherd anymore. So some of us could have some really great awakening moments, would say, how intentional am I in really trying to stay close to God? What, what's my design to resist the current and pay much closer attention to what I've seen and heard and said that I believe in so I don't get carried away? Because it can just carry you away. Next parable, verses 8 through 10. <laughs> or what woman has ten silver coins. If she loses one coin, does not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it. When she finds it, she calls her women friends and neighbors together, saying, Rejoice with me, because I have found the silver coin I lost. I tell you, in the same way, there is joy in the presence of God's angels over one sinner who repents. You know, so we have this, again, this story from like this, this woman, that, she's got a coin, a coin, the term there is, is actually a coin that would have basically stood for a day's worth of labor. You, know, you lost your daily paycheck, can't find it, that money just fell out of your pocket, whatever, she turns the house upside down, there's no windows in the house, so she lights the lamp, turns it up as bright as she can, she's carrying it around, she's turning stuff over, moving, sweeping, finally she finds the coin and she rejoices. But you and I, in some ways, need to identify with a coin. <laughs> and I can identify with a story. Some of you might have noticed in the last few weeks that it looks like I'm wearing new glasses. These glasses are more than a year old. They just look new to you because for seven months they were lost. You know, and I, last fall, like September, October, whatever, I... I we have somebody in the church who works at a country club, invited me to go golfing with him. And so we drove over there together. We, we drove over in his car, so I put my clubs in his car, and I threw my sunglasses in the back of his car. And we got to the course, I put my sunglasses on, and, and I put these in, in the container and put them in the back of his car. And I said, you've got to help me remember to get these glasses. So we, get, we play and et cetera, and we come back, and we're, we're putting, moving the clubs over to my car, throwing the shoes and whatever. And I had this just very distinct memory of grabbing the glasses and putting them in my trunk. I get home, I can't find them. You know, and, and I, I mean, I, I must have emptied the trunk five times. I got everything out of the trunk. I got the carpet out of the trunk. I got the spare tire out of the well. I mean, I'm looking everywhere. I got my phone out. I'm looking in every corner. Can't find my glasses anywhere. Turn the inside of the car upside down. You know, got, got the compressor out with the blow thing. Trying to blow it underneath the seat. See if I can get it to pop out. I can't find them anywhere. All right? Call him up. I said, can you look in your car? I, I think I got it. But you could look. He doesn't have so I just give them up for lost. And so I just kept wearing my sunglasses, their transition kind of things, right? And keep wearing them, and then they get scratched enough. I, I actually bro broke out the old ones that I replaced with these because they had a big scratch on them. And probably some of you noticed the last few weeks I had this big scratch on my glasses I was wearing them, you know? But then the other day, I got the trunk open, and I'm getting the fertilizer out that I bought from my yard, right? And I look in the you know, your trunk, you got the big opening in your trunk, and you got the well, right, that the lid kind of sits down to along the fender. And I look in the well, and there's a black place of glasses in there. 
And I said, boy, look at that. Christina left her glasses stuck in the trunk. How dumb is that? You know, and I, and I opened a glass case, and, and, it, and I said, those don't look like her glasses. Holy cow, those are my glasses. You know, and, and for seven, I don't know how many times I opened that trunk. Probably, probably, probably a hundred times, right? I'm looking inside of it, et cetera. And here on the well, right behind where the hinge drops down, are my glasses stuck on the edge, right? I was just glad they were still there. But I was thinking to myself, you know, if they could have just said, yo, I would have found them a lot earlier. If, if they could have just rattled the case a little bit, right? But no, they just sat there, dumb, right? What, what's my point? You know what? Some of us have just not really accepted the fact we, we cannot rescue ourselves. We are so bent on self-recovery that we refuse to surrender to the saving light of God that he's trying to shine on the light coin, on the lost coin, and bring it back to himself. We're, we're trying to expend all this effort to be good enough and do all this stuff rather than focusing our will as saying, I surrender to you, God. I give myself to you. Pick me up, take me back home. And some of us need to go through that awakening moment of recognizing that we're more bent on self-recovery. We think we can rattle our glass case in the fender well so God will find us. It doesn't work that way. And for many of you, it hasn't worked that way. And you find yourself in a distant country. Now the big story. Verses 11 through 32. And I invite your patience as I read through these. And invite you to dial in. And I'll just make a few more comments about this text. For some us thoughts about awakening. He said. So he also said. So he tells his third parable. A man had two sons. I'm one of those. I had two sons. man had two sons. The younger one of them said to his father. Father, you know what? I can't wait for you to die. Would you give me what's coming to me first? That's exactly what he said. Father, give me the share of the estate that's coming to me. So he distributed the assets to them, to the oldest and to the youngest. Not many days later, it was as long as it took him to arrange to sell the, his portion of the family farm, the son, younger son gathered together all that he had, and he traveled to a distant country where he squandered his estate and foolish living. And after he had spent everything, a severe famine struck that country, and he had nothing. Then he worked to work for one of the citizens of that country, who sent him in the field to feed pigs. And to a Jew, that would have been the very worst. He longed to eat his fill from the carob pods the pigs were eating, but no one would give him any. When he came to his senses, when he had an awakening, when he finally saw the reality of where he was and what life could be, he said, how many of my father's hired hands have more than enough food? And here I am. I'm dying of hunger. I'll get up. I'll go to my father and I'll say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven. And I've sinned against you. I've sinned in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son Make me like one of your hired hands. You know, he, he just wants to go home and say, Dad, I'm sorry. Would you just hire me to serve you? Just hire me to work for you. So he got up and he went to his father. 
But while the son was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran, threw his arms around his neck, and he kissed him. And the son said to his father, you know, Father, I've sinned against heaven, and I've sinned in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Father wouldn't have anything to do with it. Father told his slaves, quick, bring out the best robe, put it on. Put a ring on his finger, sandals on his feet. That was the father's answer to whether or not he was really worthy or was still his son. Then bring the fatted calf and and slaughter and let's celebrate with a feast because this son of mine was dead and he's alive again. He was lost and he's found. So they began to celebrate. Now the older son was in the field. As he came near the house, he heard all the music and dancing. So he summoned one of the servants and asked what those things meant. He says, your brother's here, he told him. And your father has slaughtered the fattened calf and, because he has him back safe and sound. Then he became angry. He didn't want to go in. So his father came out and pleaded with him. But he replied to his father, look, I've been slaving. I've been slaving for you for many years, and I've, I've never disobeyed a single one of your orders, yet you never once have let me have a party with my friends. You never even gave me a young goat, let alone a fatted calf, so I could celebrate with my friends. But this one, this, this son of yours who came, who's devoured your assets with prostitutes, you slaughtered the fighting calf for him. It's almost like the son saying, I'm embarrassed to be your son. Son, he said to him, you're always with me. Everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice. Because this brother of yours was dead, and he's alive again. Your, your brother was dead, and now he lives. And he was lost, and he is found. Powerful story. A lot of ways to rip that apart, and we've been doing that in, in, in our life groups and in the sermon last week, and continue to do so in the, in the weeks ahead. But let me just make a few points to us that maybe could help with some awakenings for us as we think about ourselves. And you know, the thing that really strikes me about the younger son is that even in all of his design to run off and do life his way, you know, it's, it's almost like the sense, you know, Dad, you are so B.C. You know, this is the first century A.D. You know, we live differently today. People don't live on farms and take care of it. Man, they go to the cities and, you know, you know and he just he says, you know what, Dad, you don't, you don't get it. And and in the midst of all of that, taking his father's resources, running off, in all of that, he failed to recognize how dependent he was on the father for everything. You know, the younger brother, he goes off to the distant country, right? He's living in the city. He's living high in the hog. He's living the life. Everybody's looking up to him. All of that came from where? From the father. From the father. He, he hadn't earned a penny of it. He hadn't achieved any of it. It was all from the father. And then when he's in the pig pen, he says, you know what? I'm still dependent upon the father. You know, I, 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 can't, I, I can't make it out here. My, my father's servants have it better than I do. I'll just go home and say, Dad, just hire me. I, I don't care about being your son. I, I got to tell you, when you and I think we can take all the stuff as God has given us and run off into the distant country and live life like it's really meant to be lived, we're fooling ourselves because even that life is fully dependent upon what the Father has given us. And when you and I don't see that, we're not missionaries in the distant country. <laughs> we become the distant countries that need missionaries to come and reach us. You know, a few weeks ago, Annie McGowan stood in our 
pulpit on Easter morning and gave his faith testimony. And one of the things that I appreciated most about what he said, you know, he, you know, to here I am, I'm married, I got a great wife, I got two healthy kids, and none of that's me. God has given that to me. God's given that to me. You know, when, when you and I fail to recognize just how dependent we are on the Father, from the the grace that gives us new life in Christ, to the air that we breathe, to the gravity that holds us on the ground, to the sunlight that makes the food grow. I mean, the list could just go on and on. When you and I fail to recognize just how dependent we are on the Father, man, we're drifting towards a distant country. Second truth. The younger son, right, he gets off to the distant country. He's living it up. Not invested, not making any returns. He's not making any income, so the amount's just going down and down and down and down and down and down until it's gone. The eviction notice comes, turns to his friends. I need a place to live. They're gone. <laughs> you know, he's got nothing, right? If, if, that's not a great circumstance. You think it would have dawned on him, you know what? I think I'll go home. But, but he, he's just going to stay right You know. Part of the struggle that we have, and I know this is loosely connected to the point to, to this to this parable, but I, I think it's it's dialed in there. I think the older brother's wrestling with this. He says, "You know, I'm slaving away. This is just work every day. Where, where's the good life?" Etc. You know, when when you and I fail to recognize that difficulty, that hardship, that sometimes not just plugging it out day in and day out, moving forward, putting one step, all of that can be a part of the way that God fulfills His plan in us. Just because it's hard doesn't mean it's not God's plan for you. Just because it's hard doesn't mean that God has abandoned you. Just because it's hard doesn't mean that God doesn't care about you. Just because it's hard doesn't mean that God, God can't do what he said he's going to do or that God has ignored his promises. Just because it's hard does not mean it's not consistent with God's plan in your life. And it's not a reason to bolt for the distant country. You know, one of the most consistent messages of the Scriptures is that God uses hardship to forward his plan in our lives. We hate it. I understand that. But God uses it. You know, my life group, we just got done studying the book of Genesis. And, and, and I'm just amazed, you know, at, at the story of Joseph, right? You know, his bro, he's bragging. He's got these visions from God. Whatever, his brothers hate him. He's the father's favorite and all that kind of stuff. And so they want to kill him the first chance they get. And they decide, you know what, we'll, we'll just sell him for a profit instead. We can divide the money up between us. And off he goes, and he's, he's a slave in Egypt. And then he gets in trouble with his master for something he didn't even do. And he lands himself in an enslaved prisoner. <laughs> and he's in a jail. You know, but then, you know, the story rises from there. And in a later moment when his, when his brothers come and are reunited, his brothers understood that the intent of their heart was evil. They wanted to hurt Joseph. They wanted to crush Joseph. They wanted to make Joseph eat his words. But Joseph was, was able to look back and say, you know what, you meant it for evil, but all this hardship I went through, God used it for good. Because now I can feed you, and we can feed this whole nation. And, and he could see, you know, Job had a, had a great relationship with God. Things were, were booming. He had a great family, profitable, etc., wealthy, the good life. He, knew, he followed everything that he knew about God, but it wasn't until he went through hardship that he actually got to hear from God and see God. You know, 
what drives us sometimes as a distant country, what slows us down in our journey to the Father is that we, we just fail to understand the difficulty, that hardship, that things can, that, that things are just, maybe just don't flow the way they're supposed to. That can be all a part of the way that God is working in our lives. I don't want that. You don't want it, but that's just the way that God works. And maybe we need to have some awakening moments in there. Because some of us have maybe dialed down our enthusiasm for God because we're going through difficulty. One last truth. I'm going to do this quick because we're running out of time. At the end of the day, like the two brothers, I, I, I think there are many ways in which we just don't trust God. I think one of the us thoughts that we need to embrace that one of our fundamental struggles is simply to trust God. The younger son is like, you know what, Dad? If I live on the farm, I'm going to go nuts. I'm going to get to my, my old age, and I'm going to look back, and I'm going to have nothing but regrets. Dad, I'm out of here. Give me what I have. Give, you know, Dad, I know what you're telling me about the good life. I know what you're telling me about what it means to live a life that's full and satisfying and makes a difference and has eternal life. I understand all that stuff, but God, I just don't believe it. So give me what I... Give me what I need so I can go live the life that I know I should live. He just doesn't trust what the father is telling him. Neither does the younger brother. Neither does the older brother. The old brother's like, you know what? I'm slaving away from you. And I don't. I'm not even. I wouldn't even dare to disobey a commandment because I'm afraid you'll take it all away from me. Doesn't trust the father. And fundamentally, one of the biggest struggles that we have is that we, 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 can, we can talk the game, we can show up on Sunday morning, we can do all, but there, there are just parts of our lives where we just don't trust the Father. Okay, uh, I'm going to pull out a couple things that are just, just they're low-lying fruit. I'm going to step on a few toes. Sorry about all that kind of stuff. But, but I, I think sometimes you and I, we, can, we don't have awakenings because we want to package everything in as, as in a digestible, attractive way as we can. And when, when we don't see it really in the clarity of the truth, it just doesn't have the impact on us. For example, churches like Hope Chapel all across America believe the book, believe in God, all kind of stuff. We know what God says, you know, bring the full tithe into the storehouse, whether you believe that's 10% or something or whatever. But I got to tell you, when you look across the fundamental level and, and that the average giving among evangelicals across America is 2 to 3%, no more than that. I don't care how you shape it, how you want to package it, how many kids you're putting through college, what addition you had, how many furnaces you had to replace, your house, I don't care, any of that stuff. Fundamentally, down at the bottom, it says, I don't trust God with my finances. I'm not pointing at anybody in particular. Just, I don't, but across the board, fundamentally in there is, I don't trust God with my finances. Because I know that if I give it to him, there's not going to be as much in my account, and I, don't, I just don't know if he's going to take care of me. And we just don't trust. And, and until we put it in that level, we can make all the excuses we want about roofs that are going to be fixed and kids' teeth, you know, going to have braces on their teeth and this and that. We can have all kinds of reasons. But fundamentally at the bottom, they said we just don't trust God to take care of us. I'll give you another example. Statistically, they say that 80% of the activity that makes a church happen from teaching on Sunday mornings to cleaning the buildings on Thursday and all this kind of stuff that we do, that 80% is done by 20% of the people. Now, across the board, what that means is that we don't want to commit to serving because the time that I give to serving, I won't have to do for the things that I want to do. 
And serving is not going to be near as fulfilling as doing the stuff that I want to do. And even though God's told me I should serve in some way or another, I'm just not going to give my time to that because I won't be happy. Fundamentally, it comes down to a trust issue. I got to tell you, you come in the building on Thursday morning when the people are here cleaning the building, they have smiles on their faces. They, they, they like what they're doing. Now, they wish there was more people here with them, but they like what they're doing. And, and somehow or another, we say, you know, I, I got you know, to work on my golf game. You know, I got to get my handicap down. I got to do this and that. We got, you know, we got the house at the lake. We got to go use. And we, gotta, we got all kinds of stuff. It's like, you know what, and if, if I give them my time, if I commit to that, I'm just not going to, and we somehow or another think that we're going to get robbed of what's really going to bring joy to us. And God says, you know, the one who gives his life for another, that's a real kind of friend. That's a, we just don't trust God. And I, I could keep going right down through the list, but, and my time is up. So I wouldn't even try to do a conclusion. Here, here's my question for you this morning. Accept my premise that God's at work all the time. God's working in our lives. When was the last time you really had an awakening moment about yourself? And how many of those have you run through or ignored or turned away from? Because God is always speaking and working in our lives. Let's pray for just a moment. God, I know the people in this room. I know their, their heart is to be at home with you. Not just to be at home, but to have their hearts be at home. God, show us where we're in the distant country. Shine a light on us. Pick us up. Carry us home. And welcome us with a party. We pray it in Jesus' name.